Hi, this is your host, Bernie J of Bernie's Colorado Journeys, your bridge to adventure. When folks want to commemorate something of importance, it's often tied to a big date in history. Say, August 1st, 1876, when President Ulysses S. Grant signed a proclamation admitting Colorado as a state. So, on Colorado Day in 1938, a crowd gathered in Antlers Park, Colorado Springs, to dedicate a monument. The retired Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad steam locomotive 168, in honor of the railroad's founder, Civil War General William Jackson Palmer, who died in 1909. Dignitaries included the Broadmoor Hotel founder, Spencer Penrose, city, state, and railroad officials. Rather than sell the locomotive for $300 in scrap, officials of the D and RGW approached the city offering to move it across the street from the train station and erect it in the park on a set of Palmer's original narrow-gauge rails imported from Sheffield, England, and place them on a bed of marble from the Colorado quarry that produced stone for the tomb of the unknown soldier. To add further panache to the ceremony, ashes were removed from its firebox and given to the Colorado National Guard, which put them in a plane that flew over the ceremony, tipped a wing in salute of Old 168, and then flew off and scattered the ashes to the four winds over Pikes Peak. Why do I tell you all this history? It's because monuments all too soon fade from memory. The once proud steam locomotive sat slowly decaying in the park until 2015, some 77 years on. Along comes the Coombers and Toltec Scenic Railroad that in 1970 formed a heritage railroad partnership with the states of Colorado and New Mexico and jointly purchased 64 miles of former D&RGW narrow gauge railroad between Antonito, Colorado and Chama, New Mexico. Here's the news flash. Steam Locomotive 168 is getting a new lease on life on the CNTS. In March 2015, the City Council of Colorado Springs approved a lease agreement between the City and CNTS Railroad for the restoration of Steam Locomotive 168. And in late September, the engine was very slowly rolled off its neglected pedestal for a new life on tracks it proudly once ran on. Now let's go to an interview with the public relations staff of the CNTS talking about steam locomotive number 168. Well, if we could start, um, sure, sir. If I could, uh, if I could have you introduce yourself, please. I'm uh, Rich Grant, and I was formerly with Visit Denver, and I'm now uh, representing uh, the Cumbers and Toltec Scenic Railroad. Because you probably like railroads, at least a little bit. Uh, my earliest memory was being lifted up into one of the last operating steam locomotives. My dad took us up to Canada where they were still running live steam. And uh, he was a big rail buff, and I am too. Excellent, excellent. And you? And I'm Joy Meadows, and I also work with the Cumbers and Toltec. That's great. And um, how, do you, how did you get involved in railroading? You know, um, I wasn't, it wasn't a natural-born love for me, but I sure enjoyed the experience. And I think, um, not to be stereotypical, but there are a lot of railroad buffs 
who are, are uh, male, and a lot of times the women go along and, and really enjoy it. Well, uh, just uh, just a while back, I, uh, I interviewed uh, uh, Mel McFarlane, who a um, uh, pretty big name down this way as far as uh, having written a number of books about the Colorado Midland, Colorado Midland Terminal uh, Railroad. He's really into that. And uh, his uh, claim to fame on the railroading is that for 16 years, uh, he was a conductor on the Cog Railway. So he was, uh, he was really into this. Yeah, well, there's real, <laughs> that's real railroading. Uh, I'm more standing by the side of the tracks <laughs> and watching them go by. Now, the thing that I have uh, uh, researched for my, uh, uh, for my listeners that I was going to start uh, working on is that um, I think I have researched uh, eight railroads. So there's the uh, Georgetown Loop Railroad, the Leadville Colorado Southern Railway, the Pikes Peak Cog here in town, uh, the Victor, uh, the Cripple Creek Victor Narrow Gauge Railroad, Royal Gorge Route Railroad, the Rio Grande Scenic Railroad, the Durango Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad, and I always stumble over how it, how it, what is it said? How is this these words said? Uh, Cumbers and Toltec. Cumbers and Toltec Scenic Railway. Yeah. Now, which is the best? And which, if your listeners live in Colorado, they own the railroad, so if they're part owners of it. That is one of my early questions to you. That I, in the email that you sent me. You say, uh, here's the Scenic Railroad, of which you are a part owner. How so am I a part owner? Well, this, the line was built in 1880 uh, by General Palmer, the same man that uh, founded Colorado Springs. And his original vision for the railroad was that it would come from Denver and go down to Mexico. But then they had uh, huge uh, gold and silver strikes out in Durango and in the San Juan Mountains. So he changed the direction of the railroad and went, uh, originally went down through Alamosa and then to, through Chama, up to Durango and up to Silverton. That was all one long railroad. And that was one of the principal railroads going west uh, across Colorado into the west. So every figure you can think of from uh, White Earp and Doc Holliday, everybody rode that train because that was how you, you got across uh, the West. But um, in the 60s when passenger railroads started to break up, uh, they knew there was going to be some problems. They took out the rail that runs from Chama to Durango. The Durango Silverton was privately owned and that was operated. It was in the movie uh, Around the World in 80 Days and it was being operated successfully as a scenic tourist railroad. But then the, the Denver and Rio Grande came and said they were going to close the Antonito de Chama uh, to passenger service. And um, that was a terrible thing. So the states of Colorado and New Mexico stepped in and they bought the railroad. And they now have the largest collection in North America of uh, narrow gauge steam locomotives and cars and 64 miles of track uh, that are, is owned every, jointly by everybody in Colorado and New Mexico. Well, I believe this is the 45th anniversary of, it is. of them buying it. Right. Now, I had, I had seen that there was 64 miles uh, worth, of, uh, worth of track. So, is it, so from when this railroad was initially built, 
is this 64 miles the front end, the back end, or the middle piece of it? Uh, it depends which way you're going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could, um, from, uh, it's kind of uh, in the middle, because uh, you could go further east on it, and the, the, uh, you could go all the way to Silverton, and then all these railroads connected, so you'd have to change at a station and go on a different railroad. Uh, but you could get, you know, all over the West. Uh, you, you can connect to Colorado Springs and Denver and other places. Uh, so there were 2,000 miles of narrow gauge track in Colorado alone. When you're listing all the railroads, we forgot Amtrak, which also goes through Colorado. Uh, yes, yeah, there's Amtrak, although um, somehow I don't think I'd get the same feel as I would for all of these others that are that are more from the day. Right. Well, it was General Palmer, whose statue is right in the center of downtown Colorado Springs. He had gone on his honeymoon to Wales, and um, he, he, there was a lot of talk there about narrow-gauge railroads. And the standard gauge that comes across country, uh, you know, the Union Pacific, and if you're on Amtrak, is, is uh, four foot wide. They had found, they discovered in India, it was too mountainous and too twisty and turned. The standard gauge wouldn't work. Uh, you, you just couldn't make that tight a curve. So they invented narrow gauge, and then they brought the narrow gauge to Wales. And General Palmer was so impressed when he saw these narrow gauge railroads that he thought, well, we should have that in Colorado in the mountains. And so he brought back the idea of the narrow gauge uh, steam trains going through Colorado. And in fact, the first steel for the first railroad was made in Wales because they, had, uh, they were familiar with making these tracks. My gosh, to think... Uh so they do all the work in Wales, then they'd have to get it to the coast, get it on a ship, and either get it to the east coast or down around South America to the west coast to bring the rail, to literally put the rails on the ground and say, hey, yeah. we can now build a railroad. Hey, I'm, I'm drinking water from Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite true. Now, the, the reason that you folks have uh, uh, come into town is that uh, it seems like something important is going to be happening as far as uh, resurrecting one of our static display engines. It, it is on September 9th. Uh, we don't have the times yet, but that will be coming out. Uh, we're going to move uh, engine number 168, which uh, for 75 uh, years has been sitting in Antlers Park. That was one of the original uh, steam locomotives used when General Palmer built the line in 1880. Uh, it's one of the more famous uh, locomotives. It was. It at one time uh, took uh, President Howard uh, Taft to uh, Black Canyon and the Gunnison. Uh, there was a special event there, and that was the engine that pulled them. You can see pictures of it all decorated with bunting, and and it was also one of the the first ones to operate on this uh, on the line that we're talking about, the Durango line that went um, that went all the way to Durango and Silverton from this area. Wow, that. Um Let's see, I, I had done some poking, so, so this engine and tender um, was built in, in 1883. So that was quite a while ago, and then 50 years of continuous service. So retired in 1938, and then put there in Antlers Park. It's interesting that it's in Antlers Park. From all the other research that I have done that uh, there was uh, so much uh, uh, controversy between anything uh, done by uh, you know, General Palmer and 
and uh, Spencer Penrose, you know, whether it be the Antlers Hotel or the Broadmoor Hotel, it, it must have really been a real feather in, in their cap to be able to put this icon uh, in the park. Yeah, well, it was the railroads that made Colorado. I mean, there was no other way of getting the miners into the area or getting the the ore out. So um, it, we wouldn't have uh, the development and, and the history of the state with that without these railroads. So they all played a big part. Now, for our listeners who uh, are not uh, really into railroading, who have this in their mind's eye, so this particular uh, engine is some 53 feet long. And with the locomotive and the tender, the combined weight, and hard to get my, my, my head around 54 tons yeah. of, of steel. But I can put it into somewhat perspective that a tractor trailer with a 53-foot 50, box on it, and as, you're, and as you're being passed by a tractor trailer, I think the law requires them, if it's a 53-foot trailer, it actually says 53 okay. on, 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 the, on, the, on, the, on the front corner of the, of the trailer. Yeah. So here you've got about the same size as a, as a tractor-trailer box, but a tractor-trailer today uh, can only, uh, uh, only can legally move about 80,000 pounds or 40 tons, where this locomotive and the tender, just it sitting there is 117,000. Yeah, it's definitely a wide load. Um. And uh, one of the other things that I had noted that um, I didn't I didn't expect uh, to to see this on on a on a on a piece of rolling stock, but it's actually uh, been registered with the National Register of Historic Places, and that was done in 1979. So it, when they say historic places, well, this thing can't did move around and is going to move around yeah and it's so, going to actually operate on the rails again it's going to be restored the reason it's moving to uh, uh, to our railroad is uh, to be restored we've restored many uh, locomotives it's it's a you know it's a weird business uh, there's not many places in the world where you, where you can you, there's no place in the world where you can go buy old steam locomotive parts if a piece breaks you have to make a new piece in a machine shop and so this is what they have, and um, in and the other thing that's interesting down there is there's not many places you can go to learn how to uh, work a, a, a locomotive. So they have a, you have to first go to fireman school, and you learn how to be a fireman on a locomotive, and then you learn how to be an engineer. Ah, don't don't steal my thunder. Okay, because that, that that's down here on the list. <laughs> okay. Um, now the thing of it is 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 uh, can you explain to me that there's Three 15-year leases to a total of 45 years, and... This is Bernie J, and you're listening to Bernie's Journeys, produced in Colorado Springs, Colorado, in view of America's Mountain, the 14,115-foot Pikes Peak. And I invite you to contact me at BernieSTV at gmail.com, that's B-E-R-N-I-E-S-T-V. And please share comments and or suggestions on this show or ideas for future travel adventures that I can explore for you. Now, let's get back to the show.
is the railroad going to have to give the engine back after that time? Oh, I, I you know, uh, that was, when you get to, with parks and possession and, and things, uh, uh, that's illegal. I'm not really sure what was involved there and why, but uh, the important thing is that the railroad, the locomotive is coming home. This is the tracks that it actually operated on. Uh, a lot of there's, you know, historic locomotives and railroads all over the country, but it's a rare thing where the where the steam locomotive is the actual one that ran on that line because these things moved all over the place. It's mm -hmm. like you're with the formerly National Park Service. You know, most of the cannons at battlefields weren't actually at that battlefield. They shifted all over for the, right. the war. And, who knows where they ended up. And it's the same with steam locomotives. They were all over the place. But this is will be the oldest steam locomotive operating in the United States and the, operating on the actual tracks that it operated. That's. I think that's going to bring a railroad buffs from far and wide oh, yeah. to be yeah. able to do that. Especially the moving. They, they, they move all the time. They even move big boys. There's a big boy. There's two big boys now in, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Those are the biggest steam locomotives ever built on, on the planet. Okay. And uh, our little one would look like a Volkswagen next to a tractor trailer if you if you parked them side by side. Right. Uh, the wheels are almost as high as uh, the the cab on our locomotive uh, on the narrow gauge, but it will still be quite a sight and quite a event for railroad fans and anyone to see uh, when they have this uh, moving down the road. Now, Some railroad uh, buffs liken it to uh, free willy that this you know that <laughs> yeah. it's going back to its natural habitat. Yeah. Um, on the on the rails. That's great. Uh, now, uh, something else that I had uh, read is that uh, almost six hundred fifty thousand dollars is going to be needed for this project. Yeah, it's not you know it's not an easy thing to build a locomotive. I think uh, a lot of people are probably familiar with the, the the trains at Walt Disney World. They have four steam locomotives down there. Those were all operating steam locomotives in Mexico. They worked a full life just like this one did for 50 years. In, in the case of Walt Disney World, they worked uh, pulling sugarcane in, uh, around uh, Merida and Cancun area in the Yucatan. Okay. But uh, Disney has built steam locomotives. There's one at, Di at Disneyland that they built from scratch, but it's no easy task to build a locomotive. Uh, even at $650,000, that's nothing to restore one as opposed to what it would be to build one from scratch. Okay. So they're just not making these anymore. And if you can find one that can be made operable, uh, then that's a valuable thing. Now, as I was reading the, uh, uh, the press release, um, on a, on a different page, I read, need to, hopes to raise $645,000. And then in the press release, um, the arrival date has not yet been determined. And since restoration will take several months, it will not be operating for, for during the coming season. That'll be th this year of 15. The, yeah, or next year. Or, or next year. But that makes it sound like, gee, Oh, we'll just gotta you know polish up the brass and you know put a new uh, radiator cap on it. Restoration will take only a, only several months. No, no, it, it, takes, it takes a long time. The the uh, federal government has many many uh, things that you have to pass and tests. Um, so you know you don't want a locomotive to blow up. So there's a lot of uh, stress testing and and uh, testing of the metal and things that have to go on. Well, it's uh, well I can I can I can share with you from because I do have this, uh, this background, is that it's called the ASME Power Boiler Code. Okay. And the reason that it came about 
is because when stationary boilers, in fact, were being tested, as the governing authority would say, prove to us that this boiler won't blow up, they would squeeze them and put so much pressure in them, they would actually start to make them fail. So when they put them back in service with fail. heat, yeah. then they did fail. fail. Yeah. And all of a sudden somebody said, could we be our own worst enemy here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can appreciate that, uh, yeah. that this boiler will have to be pressure tested cold to make sure that it will work okay hot. <laughs> So that, that's wonderful. So, uh, so this $645,000 um, is a fair amount of that already in the, in the bank to be able to get started on the restoration? Yeah, I think they have, uh, they always have money for projects. So uh, I think they have a good start on it. Of course, if any listeners want to contribute, uh, they could go to the Cumbers and Toltec mm -hmm. uh, uh, website and I'm sure they're going to be rolling out a fundraising campaign too because um, so many people people are so excited about this and, and want to help um, see a, you know a happy next chapter for um, I mean I, I grew up in Colorado Springs and I remember going to dinner at Giuseppe's um, which was across the street and you know it's been a, a, people in Colorado Springs uh, love this train I think are going to be happy to see see something good come of it because it's um, the, the orientation in Colorado Springs has changed and it used to be that that was kind of the front door to the city um, when it was an actual depot there and that used right. to be the front of the Antlers Hotel which then shifted and now it's in the back so it's tucked away right now and not as many people get to see it and enjoy it as they used to. Now is being that this thing is so long and so heavy is this uh, being moved over the road? Sure. Okay, so they, they, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not going to get to a, a railroad siding oh, no, no. and put it on a flatbed railroad car. No, no. Uh, no, they, they frequently move uh, locomotives. All the Georgetown Loop uh, locomotives have been moved up there by truck. Uh, they more or less have to because these narrow gauge tracks are not connected to anything. That's, uh, so that's true, yeah. They've had uh, engines come from um, the Durango Silverton to... Uh, to Antonito and back, uh, they've had they move around frequently. The Galloping Goose, uh, if you're familiar with the Galloping Goose, which was a, I am not. It was a, a Pierce Arrow limousine. In fact, the one up in uh, the Colorado Railroad Museum in Golden was uh, a limousine at the Broadmoor, 1923 uh, Pierce Arrow, and they put it on wheels and put a bus attachment on the back, and that ran for years uh, over Lizardhead Pass, but. We, we run a Galloping Goose occasionally on the uh, Cumbers and Toltec line, too. All right. Okay, so now um, I do most of my interviews for front-range things that are, that are close uh, for the Colorado Springs visitor to go to. So I'm not, it's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's, it is what it is, and the jumping-off point is about 200 miles away. Yeah, from Antonito. They have... There's six different ways you can ride our train. You can go, uh, you can board an Antonito, leave your car there, and go the full 64 miles to Chama, and then they uh, take you back by bus. Okay. Uh, it only takes 40 minutes to get back by bus, so uh, <laughs> okay. uh, you can go much faster than the 12 miles an hour that the train averages. Uh, or you can drive to Chama and leave your car there and take the bus to Antonito and then come back by train to your car. 
if you want to do that, or you can go halfway halfway up uh, in Osier. They have uh, a lunch stop, and they have a delicious uh, buffet, all-you-can-eat lunch, no matter which way you take the train. And so you can go up to the uh, midway point, and then you, what happens is the other train's coming from the other direction. You just transfer to that train and come right back to Antonito. So oh, oh, hold the phone. We're talking two trains running simultaneously? Oh, yeah. Uh, one day each day. Well, see, I... I would have, I would have, I came into the room here thinking, yes, you have a train, it's got some cars, and it goes from point A to point B and back to point A. Yeah, no, it doesn't no, no. Come back so to the, the next no, day. So elaborate, please. What's going on? Well, say you're on the 489 uh, a lo a locomotive pulling the train out of Antonito. So the 489 will go up to Osier's, uh, stop for the lunch stop, and then it continues on into Chama and spends the night in Chama. Like the 484, at the same time, would have left Chama, met at the lunch stop, and continued on Ante Antonito. So the trains just switch back and forth every day. So uh, always can depart from Antonito. Always can depart from Chama. Well, what you're well, what you are saying to, me, or what what my mind is 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 racing around in circles is that this is a this is a pretty big attraction. Oh yeah, this is the it's the the longest, the highest. In most authentic steam railroad in North America. Okay. This is a Williamsburg on wheels. I mean, William. Uh, if people know uh, the Living History Center in Williamsburg, this is is what our railroad is. It's a recreation of railroading in the 1880s. Now the locomotives that we use are are older. They're from 1930s. But uh, if one once we restore the 168, we'll have an actual. Uh, rail, locomotive operating from the 1880s, but the train operates exactly as it would have been. It, it, you're able to move freely between the cars, the windows come down, you can ride in an open-air gondola car, you can ride between the cars, which is interesting, and then uh, at a slightly higher fee we have a parlor car where you can ride on the back, just like the presidential candidates used to do. Now, okay, th this may be a little hard question, or this may be a little bit of a prejudice question. Is it is it better uh, to uh, uh, take the train um, going east, or drive and take the train and then take the train west? You know, which one is a better is a be is a better scenic opportunity? You know, there's fans of, of doing it both ways. Um, when you come from the uh, east, you start on, a, on kind of open rolling plains, and you continually get higher and up into the mountains. Uh, when you start from Chama, you go right into a pretty across some rivers right away, and then you go into a four percent grade. So you're huffing and puffing right from the beginning to right. get up to uh, Cumbrae's Pass. So either way, you see the same scenery, and if you're in the gondola car, you're seeing it 360. But yeah, uh, you know, if you do it one way, I think most people are tempted to come back and try it the other way. Well, I, um, you you may not be familiar with the historic red buses that that uh, drive through Glacier, Glacier National Park. Yeah, well, in a former life, uh, I am Jammer Bernie. I drove Red Bus 89. Wow. And people would ask me, well, Bernie, what should we do? You know, to see the going to the Sun Road. And I said, well, actually, you have to see it four different times. Mm -hmm. Four times. I said, yep, east to west in the morning, and then back in the p.m., and then come around to the other side in the a.m., and then in the PM, because the shadows yeah, make, make each run completely different yeah. and absolutely rewarding. 
We say the same, and then you have to see it in the spring when there's lots of snow in the peaks and you're actually passing through snow. And then you have to see it in the fall when the, uh, we have 64 miles uh, with aspens visible the entire way. So. Okay, well then you, you just then you just uh, prompted a question about um, general uh, uh, dates of operation. Uh, it goes until October 18th. Okay. And uh... I hope that you heard something that refreshed a past travel memory or sparked the desire to learn more. After all, that's what travel is all about. For Bernie's Colorado Journeys, your bridge to adventure, this is your host, Bernie Ivershowski. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again.